Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. 
Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Boat people is over. A photograph. Take one when I die. I won't mind then. Andy, well, this is the last uh, film in our Anne Hui series. The last film in our Anne Hui series and the first film in our journalist series. This is another crossover that. episode. A crossover episode. That's right. Oh, this is very, very exciting. We're talking about Boat People, 1982 film uh, that... Uh, takes us to Vietnam through the eyes of a photojournalist who returns uh, a few years after covering the um, uh, events in Da Nang uh, as the Chinese uh, take over uh, and the U.S. is gone. So things are already set up to be great in Boat People, right? Great. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it'll be an interesting film to talk about. It was definitely much earlier. This is the earliest film in our Anne Hui series that we have talked about. And, uh, but certainly a film that's gotten a lot of, a lot more notice for her. And this is a film, uh, I mean, the Criterion Collection recently announced that they are uh, including this in their collection soon. Not in time for us to look at their release of it, but it will be uh, a part of their collection, which is great. And so, yeah, definitely an important film in Hui's filmography. And uh, so uh, it'll be a it'll be a nice one for us to end on and have this conversation about it. Do you do you remember what our thinking was in that we did not do these in chronological order? I mean, we just oh, last week did our time will come with which was 2017. And now we're going back to 1982. What happened there? Well, we started with her 2011 film because it was part of our crossover. It was a crossover with our 10 year anniversary. It was a crossover. And right. And then we did the other two chronologically from 1990 to 2017. And we ended in 1982 because it's another crossover episode. It's purely because of crossovers. It's because of us, not her. Got it. Well, I know that this is your favorite part of the show now. What do you think I thought of Boat People? I think that you enjoyed the film. I think that you found it to be an interesting look at... Uh, the life of a journalist in a conflict situation, particularly when the journalist uh, does what a journalist shouldn't do and and get uh, build a connection with the people that they are there documenting. Fascinating. Fascinating perspective. Andy, I also think that <laughs> I like you... how you said that, like it hadn't even occurred to you. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that is what this Wait, film's about. <laughs> a journalist is in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think that you uh, thought that the film was interesting, that you found a real connection to uh, the the personal locale, and um, that I, I think that you, more importantly, I think that you liked it more than Our Time Will Come. How about that? Hmm. Maybe even just a little bit more, but I think you liked it more. Okay, okay, interesting. Right. Mm -hmm, very exciting. This film was rated R, 
uh, when it was released here in the States, uh, probably because of a lot of the awful things that happened in the film. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of violence, a lot of uh, shocking situations uh, involving children and prisons and just a lot of stuff that, you know, it's war, it's brutal. Do you want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, if you see an Apple or an Amazon link to this movie in the show notes, just click on it. It will take you right to their site and you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, we get a little piece in return. And uh, make sure to check out the merch store, truestory.fm slash TNR merch. You can get shirts, stickers, mugs, masks, pillows, pillows, pillows. Yes, even pillows. Uh, with everything that we're coming up with to celebrate the films that we're talking about on this show. TrueStory.fm slash TNR merch. And uh, we are now featuring audio reviews from you, our dear listeners. Just send us your 30-second audio file to reviews at TrueStory.fm as soon as you watch the movie. And really, it can be any of the movies upcoming for us through the rest of the season. And we'll hold on to those. And when the when it times when the it comes time to get the show out there, we will drop your review in the episode. You got to get them in quick, though. We do record about two weeks in advance, so uh, just make sure you get them in as soon as you can and send it to reviews at truestory.fm. You can find our watch list over on our Letterboxd HQ page at letterboxd.com/slash. The next reel and that is where you can find out what we're talking about coming up you can find out all the lists of all the movies we've we've been talking about lots of the all the reviews that we've been doing over on letterboxd and uh we absolutely love letterboxd it really is the perfect social network for movie lovers and if you fall in love with it like we've fallen in love with it you can upgrade get rid of all those ads and sleep well at night knowing that you're supporting a fantastic team uh over at the uh, letterboxd uh, HQ uh, by becoming a paying member. Upgrade to pro or patron and get 20% off with our code NEXTREAL at checkout. Or you can just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxed, which will take you to the upgrade page and the, the 20% off will already be applied. This counts for new users and renewal. So if you have a renewal coming up, check your account. If it's within, I think it's within 30 days, you can upgrade uh, or you can renew and uh, get that discount applied as well. And hey, it is a brand new year. And what better way to kick things off? I, I know you had it on your list of New Year's resolutions. So, you know, sign up and become a member of the show. Uh, we are using member, we are using Patreon's memberful platform. It integrates right into our very own website. You just go over to truestory.fm slash TNR membership. You can sign up to become a member either month to month or at the annual rate, and you'll get all sorts of wonderful goodies. So many bonus episodes that you get that we talk about that are available only to members who sign up and become supporters. Uh, we've got our, uh, our flick chart re-ranking. We've got our retake episodes that come out at the end of each season. We've got bonus movies each month, uh, a bonus movie that, that we talk about to fill in a hole in an old season that we uh, just need to to talk about to shake things up. It, we've got a lot of bonus episodes that are just for our members. And uh, you can become a member and uh, uh, get access to all those in your very own personal bespoke podcast feed where 
you get stuff that just doesn't show up in the main uh, podcast feed on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. Just head to truestory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about membership tiers. The most it'll cost you is five bucks a month or 55 bucks a year. Thank you so much to our current members. And if you're just considering something new in the new year, we appreciate you thinking of us. Okay, Andy, let's talk about boat people. I want you to start because you uh, you studied journalism. Mm-hmm. And this sure film did. is about journalists. It's a crossover, as we said, with our journalist series. That is the next one. A perspective coming from somebody who kind of uh, is in the know as far as far as the world of journalists. Well, uh, all right. I mean, I know you were never a wartime photographer. I was (laughs) (laughs) never. I was never a wartime photographer, and my focus was on uh, television news. And so I spent very little time in print and still uh, uh, work. But I also, you know, for the last many years, have have also worked as a professional still photographer uh, and videographer as well. Even after I I left the the world of of news, Um, and I. I have to tell you, I I really like this character. I I have met a lot of um, of of photojournalists, and I find that there is a very wide spectrum of journalists and of photojournalists, and and that spectrum is like the things that they choose to cover, it, like from whether they're altruists, like they're they're actually out to cover the news because they feel like the work that they're doing changes things, and those who are strictly capitalists, like they're out doing the work and telling those stories and taking those risks because they're paid to do so. And at some point in between, they they just sort of slide back and forth on that on that scale. And and usually it comes with age. They 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 really fit the trail. Like they write these tropes for a reason that the the longer you're in the work, the sort of less altruistic you become. Um, because it's easy to get in anything. And when you watch horrible things all the time, um, it, it's easy to feel like you you have a, a distinct lack of control in, in your level in, of influence. This character, I, I think you can make a case that our character in this movie is, comes off as, um, you know, he's still an altruist. He has a lot of experience. He worked in the war, but he's still back as an as an altruist. He feels like he's he's doing he's trying to do good and his journey through uh being a tool of the state right being essentially a propagandist to rediscovering his purpose and taking pictures of things that really matters uh to you know is i think an interesting one the question is you know to what degree it the movie is able to capture that and make you feel something alongside him uh in in his work so i i found i i really had an affinity for him i think he's an interesting interesting character and uh george lamb is an interesting actor to me so um i i did connect with it um but i do you know as i was reading up on the film i read a lot of critiques of him as a photojournalist that he's not believable that he's you know all the uh, you know all the way down to the you know would he really give up his camera equipment well that's yeah i mean i think Sure. I, I found that believable for this character in this situation. Um, I, yeah. I don't have a critique of that stuff. 
But I do think it is, uh, you know, it's an it's an interesting take on on this character and it fits on the spectrum. There was nothing in the way this character was played that surprised me negatively. And I think that's I call that a win. How did it hit you? I, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy these these stories about these characters who are in a wartime situation and, uh, you know, their view of things shift as they're uh, kind of going on this journey and taking the pictures and and seeing what's actually happening and everything. And, and I found him to be an interesting character because of the way that he... Um, you know, he comes in, as you said, he's kind of already a prominent, uh, you know, wartime photographer. Yeah. And right. um, and so, yeah, he he I, I don't think it's so much that he's buying that he's a propagandist, but it's definitely one of those things where, you know, he's just he's, you know, following along with what they tell him, like they bring him to this place. Oh, yeah, here's here's the new economic zone. Look how happy these children are. And like he and and to a certain extent, it's like um, less a propagandist and more um, somebody who's been in it long enough to kind of just become a little uh, like lose some of his sense of things, uh, like the passion that he had as a youth and just kind of like becomes like he he just follows along almost naively with what he's being told without realizing <laughs> or almost having forgotten that you know you got to dig a little deeper sometimes which was interesting because it all like when he starts having those conversations and he, after he talks to his uh Japanese friend who's in town and re- kind of is reminded oh yeah I should get out and talk to some of the real people like the plight of the real people who are doing things which and that was the shift for him it's like suddenly as he starts hanging out with those people that's where he starts getting those clues oh you're looking at nez number 16 well you're looking at the one that they show everybody who comes in from out uh, out of the country yeah you're that's the floor model exactly exactly But see, andy and i i think that's where you can make the case that that if you if you buy into his character like this is where i I would have a quibble right that they've made the case that this character is a successful war journalist right but he was also like they like him they have him back because he told a story that was in their favor right that's why he gets the access that he does but if he really was a war photographer like he, I expect him to have more demonstrable experience and cynicism in what they're telling him. And so when when he tells them and tells his handler, I, you know, I'd like to go to these places without my handler. I'd like to go unescorted. And they let him do it. My read of that, and this is hinges on my like of his character and his and appreciation of the film, is that he's doing that because he he has that experience. But Many of the critics of the critiques I've read of the film say that he's he's wildly too naive and is being played. And it's only accidental that he actually is awakened to these atrocities that are still going on, that they're still at war, even though they're you know, the the war is supposedly over. So I, I guess that's my question for you is what is your take on that conflict? Like, do you is he really naive? like so many of the critiques say in your head, or do you follow sort of my line of thinking that I need him to be more experienced? And and so I kind of, I believe his arc. Well, I, I guess, and, and perhaps we 
incorrectly started talking about this character as a wartime photojournalist. I mean, we see him when China comes in and then he comes back, you know, three years later to kind of just take pictures and stuff. But he's always just described as a photojournalist. And he doesn't really talk about, I mean, he talks about, you know, getting to travel the world and stuff, but he doesn't talk about going into all sorts of conflict situations, you know? It's not... Yeah, there's none of that, that like, PTSD that right. many war journalists have. Yeah, right? we're not watching, um, you know, the journalists in Salvador who are, you know, hopped up on drugs because they're they're in such intense conflict all the time this is a person who just is more of a photojournalist and like a features guy exactly and so maybe that's the maybe that's the angle is that he's not a wartime journalist and so he's he's the one who is sent uh over to kind of you know just kind of take pictures how is everything going over there you know just to kind of get those sorts of stories and yeah they show him the floor model and in he's just not that smart he doesn't have the sense of of that sort of thinking and so i I think that this film was his awakening and to that end i really enjoyed the character i enjoyed his awakening and i really didn't have any issues that apparently some of these other people that that have some gripes with that uh find in the film i i enjoyed watching him kind of discover what's really going on and and for me i found it to be uh very effective well, I, I feel like and, and I don't want to I don't want to belabor this this point too much, but I feel like you you have just introduced yet another opportunity for for a, a internal conflict for me, <laughs> even if he's a even if he is a, a features guy, he he is revisiting Vietnam three years after being there. After the, quote, liberation, and that was wartime. Like, how how does he not see the 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 uh, like the end of the atrocities of of war? Right. Like, how does he not see what's on what has has happened to the country when he was there at that time? That's all I'm asking. Like, even if he's there shooting something for, you know, I, I, Japanese Vogue, like you, you have to. All we can base it on is what we see in the film. And when when we see him in the film, he is there. On the streets with all of the Vietnamese people waving Chinese flags, celebrating the Chinese tanks and soldiers rolling through the streets. And that's the only thing we see of him. So we can't speak to the fact that he was there to witness, uh, you know, the devastation or anything like that. The only thing that he really sees that he takes a picture of that that stuck with him is that kid on crutches walking through the alley. But that, again, doesn't necessarily speak to much of anything. You know, and so it's it really is there. I mean, he is there for celebration. And I, I it's hard to read too much into like what else could he have seen while he was there? We just don't know because we're not given that. Well, I, I think that's I absolutely agree with you. And I think that is a, a that is a reason for so much of the critique of the film and uh, in, in terms of his character's naivete, because I find it hard to believe that he that he wouldn't have seen other stuff besides the parade. I think there it's an open question that the film, you're right, does not answer. But if you're going to poke holes in in this awakening for him, that that he's only just now realizing that the Vietnamese, you know, the ruling party is Chairman uh, Ho is just not great to their own people. Well, that seems uh, uh, dubious. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you can read into it, I, I guess, all the live long day. But uh, in context of the film and what we're given, yeah. the way that it affects his character arc over the course of the film, I I don't have any issues with it. I think it works in context of this story that we've been presented as a person who's there. He sees a celebration. He comes back three years later. Everything seems great. And then he digs deeper and finds that there's a lot more. In context of the story, I think it works great. In context of reality, sure. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I see the point. Well, and I think we're in, in total agreement on this. I just find I need him to, you know, I need him to be this guy in the beginning and I need to move on from it because I find once he meets the, the family and, and, um, and the, you know, aforementioned boat people, um, I find that's when the story actually, you know, picks up and gets interesting to me. And, and, um, that relationship and his connection to them is, is the one that I'm, I'm most, I'm, I'm most, you know, sort of have a, a greater affinity to or for. And so um, that's that's when the, the thing gets better. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, the inciting incident. That's all of, right. you know, 10 minutes into the film. So, yeah, right. Not, <laughs> there's not a whole it's not like you had to wait like three quarters of the film for that to happen. No, 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 of course. But but that's why, like, I feel like if you can't get over the photojournalist stuff, you're not going to have a great experience with the movie. And for me, I was I was able to get over it. And so I get I had a better experience with the movie. That's all. I, but what, like the whole setup of the film though, like I really find it interesting watching him when he does return. And for, and for me too, because like I'm there with him. I, I'm the naive person who like I, I wasn't really uh, speaking to what we talked about last week with our time has come. Like everything that happened in Vietnam after the U.S. departed, like all of this stuff, like I, I knew loose stories of and stuff from history classes, but not much. And so getting to kind of see him come in and get taken to uh, this, you know, uh, new economic zone number 16 and seeing the kids singing and they're all so happy and everything seems great. And life life seems like, wow, the Chinese have really changed things for the better here in Vietnam. And mm -hmm. And so I enjoyed that. And then and it is interesting, though, when you see those moments, like when he's out on the street and he sees the police taking um, a family into a truck and marking their door and things like that. And he starts seeing more and more of these markings and things like that, that like I was as curious about as he was like a lot of interesting things like what is going on here? Like I, I felt the film did a really great job of creating a story that allowed him to very much be the audience surrogate so that we were coming into this, seeing these things um, kind of for the first time and trying to go, well, what's, what is really happening here? And as he dug deeper, it like, I don't know, it really increased my appreciation for the film because I was able to really get a sense of this world and everything that's going on. So I, I found the storytelling structure uh, for me where it worked really well. So what do you think about his, uh, his relationship with um, particularly with the the girl cam nong yeah uh i i mean i really liked it it's it's very interesting you know we we see him and these kids again as he's kind of initially walking around he sees it looks like kind of a mom feeding her kids and then a bunch of people come in and knock stuff over and all these kids just start eating the noodles off the ground like they come running in to just kind of steal everything and one of them is cam nong and her uh younger brother and uh, he starts following her because she's such an interesting presence. And yeah, so we kind of get to know her 
their mother and the youngest kid as he <laughs> creepily follows them into their house. Oh, I'm I'm totally allowed to be here. I just want to take some pictures. <laughs> a little yeah. a little presumptive of him as the photographer to just be walking into people's houses to take pictures. Um, right. No, that but, happens all the time in my house. Don't they do that in Phoenix? <laughs> Again, those crazy Portlanders. Um, <laughs> but then, and then her older brother shows up, uh, Nock, who um, is much more street smart, has some English under his belt, and you know, and, and kind of creates this situation that allows him to take pictures of them without seeming like he is just taking pictures of them which would get them into trouble, like they had actually worked something out. And so it's interesting to see the way that that relationship forms, but then how these kids really develop this relationship with him. And and yeah, it just it turns into this thing of, of him just kind of meeting up with them every day and really getting a sense of the world and all the stuff that's going on and, and all the scrounging that's happening and how you know, these uh, assassinations take place in this back alley that they've all nicknamed the chicken farm and how uh, how they basically um, help a guy back there to kind of clean everything up. And they, they they clean out all the pockets and take off all the watches and all the valuables and stuff and then get some money from the guy who's doing the cleanup. It's like God, just like horrible things like that that you start getting a sense of. And, and so that's, I mean, yeah, absolutely. This is why I think the film works so well for me because you really get a strong sense of life there, especially for young kids and, uh, you know, just in, in economic hardships. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a piece that I think really plays well for me, which is that, um, exactly that, that, uh, we get to see how these kids and the people of the community have and, and of the country have adjusted to life post war and and uh, just you know through our cameraman or our photojournalist's eyes uh, we get to be awakened to the strife that they are dealing with to the things that are completely normal uh, to them that are are completely foreign to us and for that I I think that stuff plays well for for me uh, and maybe that's why I'm, I'm able to write off some of the other stuff uh, even more. I think she, uh, specifically uh, Season Ma, playing Cam Nguong, is fantastic. Fantastic. I adored her performance in this movie. I really, really did. And uh, even more so than uh, George Lamb, I, I think she as a, she's, she's sort of the, the white rabbit, right. That we follow into deeper and deeper into the movie along with, uh, George Lamb. And, and I could not get enough of her on screen. I thought she was great. Very, very young and, uh, fits the role. I mean, she's got yeah. one of those faces that, I mean, without saying anything, just, just looking, uh, you know, at something, I mean, it carries a lot of weight in her look. And so, yeah, it was, it was, very uh, powerful to kind of watch her performance here as she was um, trying to figure him out initially and then developing that connection with him and then going back and forth. Like there were times um, when she wants him out. There are times when she wants him back in their life. And, and uh, you know, all the way through to the end, when you have that final shot of her and her little brother on the boat, you know, sailing, uh, sailing to presumably safer place a safer place 
um, that shot of them in the sun as they're on the boat. I mean, that's uh, what a powerful way to end the film and just see their face. And it's not like they're smiling or anything. It's just, it's just that face. And it was, um, yeah, really, um, this is the sort of child performance that you see. And it's just like, uh, you know, I, I love seeing that kids can pull stuff like this off. It was very, very well done in a, a very adult film. So the, this was another thing that I did not know about. Uh, before this movie. I didn't know anything about new economic zones, the new economic zone program. Had you ever heard of this? Well, it is one of those things that I feel like I had read, uh, like in some history or something. Um, but I didn't know what it meant. And I, I really don't think I had a good handle on it at all. And so it, it yeah, it was it was an interesting thing to kind of watch how it played out here um you know these these different um communities that they that they kind of were creating the way i understand it and uh, based on very limited internet research so far but very curious about learning more uh that the vietnamese communist government after the fall of saigon moved northerners to the south in these new regions, right, the the new economic zones in order to populate the country with the inhabitants of North Vietnam at, to the tune of a million people, a million northerners moved south after the fall and into these new economic zones. And to make that happen, they took a million southerners who were living there already out of their homes and moved them to the the woods, to the forest. This was a forced replacement effort. That's what the new economic zones program were. But they say this was, you know, these were um, volunteers, people who volunteered to move into the mountains and start new communities. Um, and, you know, I, I, I pretty much don't know any, <laughs> any more than that. All I know is it doesn't sound great, but that's what it was. So in terms of this story, we have people, is it your understanding that the people that we meet in terms of, of uh, the, the family and um, that they were forced out and wanted to move into an economic zone or get out of, or get on a boat, become a boat person, right? A refugee and get out of Vietnam altogether. The, which family you're talking about? Are you talking about the family we're following in the film? Yeah, the family we're following. Well, I know we have, you know, because we have both To Min, Andy Lau's character, right? He just wants to get out of the country. Yeah. He had been in one of the NEZs yeah. and was given permission to leave because he was ill and was supposed right. to be healing up. But as it turns out, he, you know, <laughs> was basically getting money so he could get back in to use his escape method that he had and and uh, and flee on a boat. Now, and ill, like, that was a part that was a little bit confusing to me. He had money implanted in his body? Yeah, he had those gold, those gold <laughs> uh, plates. Well, I, I think he put them in his wound that he had. Um, at, which was supposed to be his easy money exit, yeah, right? That's that right, was his right. whole thing. I don't. I mean, if we've learned nothing from else from this movie, don't ever do that. Ugh. Hide gold in your open, festering wounds. It was pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So 
And then, but but I, I want to go back to Cam Wong and uh, her family. Right? They they were they always residents, or had they been moved? Had they been forced migrated into the onto the coast? No, I, I think that they were always residents, and they didn't want to go into the NEZs because they heard how brutal they were. And and yeah. even though he was just like, "What are you talking about?" Like they're great because again, he'd only seen the the, the floor model, and uh, so. That was a lesson for him that, you know, there were more than just these things. There were also these prison camps and just so many other things mm-hmm. going on that really was not talked about, you know, very um, brutal in the way that, that China was uh, running Vietnam at the time. But they were just living in poverty, trying to make a living. And, you know, the kids were doing most of the work. Mom, when we meet, she's ill. And her friend convinces her to become a prostitute. And so that's kind of where mom ends up at uh, in the film, making more money, but, um, you know, uh, but having to sell herself, which, of course, she ends up paying for by the time uh, we get to the end of the film, which is, you know, it's it's a it's a pretty shocking thing. But I, I think that that's their goal is to just survive and not have to get forced out. I don't think they're trying to leave. I think that they are just, you know whatever we need to do to survive, which is why the kids are, you know, she's, you know, getting pieces of um, sugar cane that she can sell or, you know, fish that she can trade or whatever. Like, it's always like, if I pay this much for this, I can sell it later for that much. And, you know, always trying to find ways to make a little money and then also helping out at the chicken farm. So it's, you know, it's, it's a very difficult living. And that's, I think, the uh, one of the powerful things of the film is just getting a sense of how hard this world was for these people. Yeah, yeah. Well, truly, the movie I think captures that very, very well. Um, and so we start to we we make the transition as uh, you know our our photojournalist starts to learn the truth. He gets access to more stuff. He goes without his handler, and he gets to see uh, more of the the hardships that are going on as he as he follows our white rabbit character into uh, this stuff. And then things start getting harder for him. But he is always uh, pretty quickly rescued. What's your take on on the big transitions? It's interesting, like his story, the journey that he has is pretty interesting. And, you know, he's really given access because, you know, he has permission by by the head of the the head officer of the area he's uh was educated in France and a, a revolutionary war hero and uh, pretty much like the leader of the area and he's the one who gives uh Akutagawa the the right to basically go wherever he wants and take whatever pictures he wants and meanwhile um you know officer Nguyen's um the 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 people like uh, the people who had been Akutagawa's handlers before he was given free reign, they're the ones that seem much more in line with the Communist Party. Officer Nguyen seems a little jaded with everything and seems like he might know the sorts of pictures that are going to get taken and kind of seems like, you know what, I just don't care. Like he just yeah. seems kind of like 
it is what it is. Uh, it's not great, and maybe it needs to be out. There's there's an element of that to him that I found very interesting, and but I kept wondering, and 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 so. I, I kind of, I mean, this is one of those stories, you really get a sense of like, I, I pretty much know how the story's going to end. It's not going to end well, at least for our photographer, because he's getting so wrapped up in everything that's happening here. Yeah. And because the handlers, like, outside of uh, talking to Officer Nguyen, the two of them very much seemed like concerned, like, these are the sorts of photos that could really cause trouble. And he's trying to stir things up as a revolutionary. What should we do about the photographs? And I kept wondering, are we going to build to a place where like he's getting ready to leave and like all of his film is gone or gets taken away or something where he doesn't actually get to reveal his photos? Like that was, I figured, going to be the the light version of the film. The, the tougher version of the film, which is certainly more in line with what we get, is that in some capacity he's trying to help and ends up getting killed, which is uh, more what we get. And so um, it was, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting journey for him that he goes on. And uh, I liked the way it played out. And I especially enjoyed his relationship with Officer Nguyen because I found that character to be so interesting the way that it kind of, uh, you know, allowed for more than it perhaps should have from somebody in that office. Yes, absolutely. I, I thought that was really interesting. And you could tell, and, and that's where I think the the characters that we have from the handler to Officer Nguyen to the, the consulate folks that we come into contact with at their regular lunch, I I found them really interesting because they showed sort of the spectrum of challenge that they have in dealing with what everybody knows is going on in their country, that some of them are, you know, clearly demonstrating a more humane uh, sort of reaction. Um, and I, I think that's that's one of the pieces that makes this the latter half of the film interesting and that allows me to buy in to the fact that, you know, our our photojournalist is able to execute on his more altruistic bent in a believable way for me, that he's trying to help. And the movie certainly isn't afraid of taking us down that that darker road where, you know, something goes horribly wrong and he ends up, you know, on the dock, so to speak. Um, I also think we have enough instances where there is sort of this mistaken identity thing going on where he, they beat him up before he's able to pull out his get out of jail free card. Um, and there that by the time we get to the end of the film, there there is a legitimate uh, sort of belief that he might be rescued at the end. But for lack of these, um, you know, kind of rogue guards chasing him um, that, you know, a rogue shot that ends up lighting up the canister. I think that I think that's really that's great dramatic tension that I think they they leverage well in the final moments of the film. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it just was one of those moments where I'm like, why are you running? Just, you know, tiptoe away quietly. Why? <laughs> when he just like he takes off and I'm like, I know you're trying to get away, but, you know, those those guards are just around the corner. Yeah. Be a little more subtle. Yeah. Well, and that's what the that's what the movie is dancing on. Right. Which is uh, whatever you think of the first half of the movie, like the 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 entire sentiment of the film is based on a veil of gauze. Right. That the that the central ruling party is trying to keep down over everybody's face, everybody's face. And, you know, as it gets peeled back just a little bit, it just evaporates for for our 
our protagonist here. And I think that that makes it, um, you know, painful and uh, exhilarating to watch him get out of that and to watch him realize that the only thing he can do to live with himself is to help and support those people who also have to get out of the uh, horrible strife and the life choices that they're forced to make and the prostitution and uh, everything and the, and just the kids who are taking watches and money off of corpses in the public square. I mean, all of those things are what they're escaping from. And I think that uh, that is played so well in particularly the third act that is redeemed really, really well for me. Yeah, really is. A lot of those moments. Jeez. Uh, and what, like when um, uh, when the young girl uh cam Nuong is all dressed up and helping out at the uh noodle shop or wherever it is and right. he and she like wants to see his hotel room and all of that and it's like where is this going and then all of a sudden she wants to wash her feet so she doesn't get his bed dirty and mm-hmm. it's like she has it's like as at 14 she is so you know worldwide in such a shocking way that it's horrific that she's like at this point where like, you know, I'm, I'm here to sell myself to you now. And it's like, geez, wow. Just shocking the way that uh, these moments play. Well, those, those moments, I mean, uh, you know, speaking of the veil of that, that's over his eyes, right. When he goes to see where all the children are singing about our glorious chairman, Ho, um, and then goes back at night and sees those same children sleep piling in the nude in these giant barracks. Yeah. That like, that's one of those horrifying twists of, uh, that, that, you know, when we get to see him awakening, yep. um, see his awakening. Yeah. And I mean, and that whole thing plays, uh, there's that interesting twist there where there's the old guy who works there who's walking around with GI's boots, you know, around his neck. And he's like, well, yeah. you know, I'm, I've been saving these. I'm not going to wear them. I'm going to be buried in them. Yeah. And then when he comes back, like the guy who had been the head, um, that old guy had died. And then the guy who was the head of the place has taken his boots it's like oh, they were just such nice boots and is wearing them and it's like it's interesting like the way that these little these little things play out in a way where i, I don't know i think it it speaks to uh a lot of the the views on war and on communism and uh i don't know it was, it was an interesting little side note in there as well and you know leading into our uh, to the end of the film um the, the climax of the film so he's he is the, the diesel canister he's carrying blows up and he is covered in burning diesel fuel and and ends up dying on the dock and that's a horrible thing and and yet there isn't a small part of me that watches the kids on the boat right they are now boat people they, right yeah, they're, they're exactly that's that was the journey of the film is to them becoming the becoming boat people just and, and it's it, you know we meet them and they're kind of living on a docked boat right, right that's right, kind right. of turned aside on the side but but they're they're boat people only now and boat people referring to the fact that they are refugees uh you know fleeing vietnam and so much death has occurred to the boat people just trying to get out of Vietnam. And we've seen this any place there are, you know, refugees get on a small boat and venture out into the open water, whether it's Vietnam or Cuba or wherever it is. Um, it, it is horrific. And so we watch our protagonist die on the dock only to turn around and watch these kids hopeful that they're going to find 
you know, freedom in a, a freer land. And it's just like we only we know how bad life can be for refugees fleeing the country. Right. It's horrible. And uh, and so it doesn't get better just because the kids get out. That doesn't make it better. That doesn't make this a happy ending movie. Well, I mean, no, especially, I mean, geez, look at what happened when Toe got onto his boat to flee, right? Yes, that's I a great mean, example, right. He escapes the uh, the NEZ number 15 uh, and gets onto the boat, and they're sailing down the river, and it's surrounded by two, or, uh, two boats of soldiers who open fire and kill every single person on board, including Toe Min, and, uh, and then they... Just like the chicken farm, they start pulling off all the watches and everything else on these people. I mean, it's just because you made it onto the boat and you're getting out doesn't mean that you make it. Right. And I think at the end of the film, it's a view of hope that we have for these kids, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're free yet. It doesn't free. necessarily mean that they're going to have a better life. Uh, all it means is that they've made it out of this particular situation and uh, very much paints a portrait for this whole concept of boat people that had been fleeing um, at this particular point in time. And uh, so many of them that, you know, the, the term was coined. And so it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, this is what leads people to do that sort of thing. Well, this is where I think it could be a mistake to focus too much on the naivete of our photojournalist central character at the expense of what the movie is actually trying to say about the lives of the people of Vietnam after um, you know, after the uh, cha glorious Chairman Ho was in in charge, um, and uh, the the rifts that continued uh, for you know decades for generations of people who were affected by the war, and so that that's really what the movie is is you know so much about, and and that perspective, it's terrible. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that that um, people endured. And, uh, you know, but you do get to that point where you're like, I, I have to figure out how to get out. And and that's one thing I loved. It was interesting because we at a certain point, we do kind of start shifting a lot more attention than I expected to Toman's character as he goes off to NEZ 15 and um, and following him all the way through his attempt at at fleeing the country. Um, and so to that end, it was interesting because, yeah, to a certain extent, Akutagawa was helping him as well as helping these kids all flee. And it's so we right. do kind of get the two stories. But it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it is a, a brutal, brutal place. And watching um, so many of the elements of Tomin's story, like he's trying to steal his camera that gets him into trouble. And that's only because he was trying to get enough money so that he could get out. Which I think is really what gave Akutagawa the idea that he could hook up with this um, uh, barkeeper, this Chinese barkeep that Officer Nguyen always hangs out with, who's kind of in kind of the black market, helping people get out is what it seems, or get passes to where they need. You know, she very much seems to be kind of that person. Um, but she's connected to Tomin. Min. Uh, they're having a relationship. And uh, so, the, but the whole thing with trying to get the money with her so they could get out so that his buddy who's also in an easy 15 could get out like there were a lot of these elements of just the struggle of what it takes to actually be able to even consider the idea of getting onto a boat to get out right 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 so 
I, I think overall, all of that leads me to a, a really satisfying sort of educational experience. But recognizing, too, that this is this is a movie that's made uh, in a kind of a, a, another sort of complicated circumstance, right? Her as a Hong Kong filmmaker making this movie, like everything that we've sort of read leads me to to think, gosh, what are the what are the trade-offs that she made to make a movie that was that was discussed, discussing these issues that are important to China <laughs> and and their portrayal of those things? Do you know what I'm saying? Like it, in terms of this movie as like what angle is is China supporting that they are allowing this movie to be made? Well, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I mean, you know, Anne Hui, this is the film that kind of got her into that whole um, Hong Kong new wave list of directors. I think we've talked about a few of them on the show before, um, you know, like Wong Kar Wai. Um, uh, we've never talked about John Woo, but, uh, you know, we've certainly talked about John Woo, John if Wu. you know what I mean. Um and and so I, I think that uh, there's an element of her kind of being in a director or being in a role as a director in this period where, uh, I mean, there certainly was a relationship with China, but it wasn't in the same situation that it was, you know, when she was making Our Time Will Come in 2017, right? It was, it was definitely kind yeah. of a different position that she was in. But that being said, I mean, it is a film that was made in cooperation with the Chinese government. Um, and, you know, to that end, some people saw this as anti-Vietnam propaganda that she was spreading. And so, I mean, it's interesting. You start looking at the different perspectives that that people bring to it. And I don't know. I, I, I find that, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I felt that so much about the film, but I can certainly see how people uh, would see that. But I mean, Anne Hui herself, I mean, she got a lot of the ideas for this because um, she was making a documentary uh, for uh, one of the local Hong Kong networks and did a lot of interviews with Vietnamese refugees about life after in this period of time. And then she did this film, the story of Wu Viet, uh, the year before this, that Chow Yun Fat was in about a Vietnamese boat, a Vietnamese boat person who was in Hong Kong. And then she did this film and that's actually, they call it her Vietnam trilogy. And this is the third of that series. And so she even had permission from the Chinese government to film on Hainan Island the first Hong Kong movie to be filmed in communist China. So I can see how, because of a lot of those elements that, that people end up feeling there is a, um, an angle that she's coming in with. And I, I think that that's part of the problem. Right. Well, the fact that Chow Yun-Fat, you know, was like, it was one of those actors, uh, you know, that risked being banned. Uh, from the movie and chose not to be in the movie for that reason. Like that's a that's an interesting perspective. Like you're making a movie where there are actors who are afraid of their participation in a particular film because of the of the you know position of the state. Yeah, right. I I, I think that's a shadow that is like looming over her productions on these topics. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, not very much. I don't think you. I don't think they do any. There's nothing wrong with putting Andy Lau in this movie. Big fan. 
of Andy Lau. Yeah, exactly. It is what it is. Uh, anything else hot you need to talk about on this thing? I, I don't think so. Other than, you know, this is really the film that that put Anne Hui on the map as far as um, getting out into the world and, and really kind of kickstarting her much larger career. So what do you think of the what do you think of the music? Long Wing Fai. I liked it. I, I felt like this, the music in this film was more cohesive across the entire film. Uh, and so I, I felt it worked well. It had, it, it, yeah, I, I agree with you. It didn't have the uh, sweeping theme, but it's interesting that, you know, same composer as A Simple Life and was not as much on board with the, um, with the Simple Life score. So mm. this was, that was, um, the, we're looking at first and last scores, right? Uh, Lowing <laughs> right. Fi, this was, this was uh, the the first score, and Simple Life was the last in 2011. Uh, with Anne Hui. With Anne Hui, right. Yeah. Well, and also the last credited score. First and last credited film oh, in oh. their filmography. Literally, gotcha. first and last. Literally, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I mean, literally. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah. All right. Well, we will be right back, but first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Hanjo Gabler, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, and imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. And now... Let's see if Andy could find anything about anything on this movie. Andy, did it get any awards? Um, this film did okay with uh, its award run. Again, you know, we've talked about this a lot. There's a certain... I, I wonder where that line is where all of a sudden everybody realizes, hey, we should start our own awards. Um so this is still in that early phase when there just there aren't as many awards out there, you know. Uh, it did have six wins and seven other nominations. Um, the ones that uh, you know, let's just focus. You know, virtually all of them center on the Hong Kong Film Awards. Twelve of its thirteen nominations and wins happened at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, it did win the top foreign film at the National Board of Review here in the U.S. But over at the Hong Kong Film Awards, uh, let's just walk through that because it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best New Performer for Season Ma, Best Art Direction. And then the nominees where it was nominated but did not win. Uh, the first one is George Lamb. He was nominated for Best Actor but lost to Carl Maka for Mad Mission. Cora Miao was nominated for Best Actress, but lost to uh, Becky Lamb in Lonely 15. And Season Ma was also nominated for Best Actress, but lost to Becky Lamb. That's weird. She was nominated in both categories, I guess. Hmm. The film was nominated for Best Cinematography, but lost to He Lives by Night. Best Film Editing also lost to He Lives by Night. And, uh, well, oh, I guess it was Best New Performer that Season Ma won. Um, but she lost Best Actress. So there Best you go. Actress, sure. uh, the film was nominated for Best Original Score, but lost to Life After Life. And that's it. So, you know, it, 
pretty good run. I mean, this really kind of started that run of big awards uh, for Anne Hui at the Hong Kong Film Awards, where I think I said back in our first episode, uh, she's won like the Best Director Award, I think more than anyone else, like four times. So um, uh, yeah. yeah, she's very popular there. Well, and it's amazing because clearly she made this movie for free, right? Because if there's no budget, that's what that means. That's what that means. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Uh, the end of the series, once again, no budget information. Uh, it's, you know, it's frustrating. I, but it speaks to the time. It also speaks to the fact that a lot of the stuff that um, from the Hong Kong area, we're just not getting that sort of budget information. This movie opened October 22nd, 1982 in Hong Kong and China. It doesn't look like it was released here in the States, uh, but I can't quite tell because it does have an R rating. So I'm not sure where that conflict is. Regardless, all I could find was that the film did earn $2.3 million overseas, which is $6.1 million in today's dollars. Like I said, I don't have all the numbers, but I would like to assume it was a profitable film for Huey, as it certainly did well for her in the award circles and uh, you know, really kicked off her career as uh, a, a new wave director. I like this movie quite a bit. I don't know if it was... Oh, mm. was it my favorite of our Anne Huey series? Mm. I didn't like what the, the last one. Our time will come as much. Um, what did we do right before that? Oh, I love I like the simple life, song of the exile. Yeah, I, I, there were some. I had issues with that too. I think this this is this is right up at the top for me. Um, I'm I I like this one quite a bit. So uh, I'm excited to see how this one shakes out. Yeah. All right. So we're going to be right back, and we're going to talk about our ratings and reviews. But uh, first, here is the trailer for our next movie. Merrily we go. To hell. I'm a little oh. drunk. Can you excuse me? I think everyone here is a little drunk, but I'll excuse you. Now, loose hands. Carrie, you're impossible. How did you do with the ring? I ought to be shot. I lost it. Well... Merrily, we go to hell. Merrily, you stop this and go to work. Come on. <laughs> Madam, have you no answer for me? <laughs> no, if I said yes, I should mean no. And if I said no, I should mean yes. But my silence is all true. And for you. It's your husband's play. Applaud. I can't. I'm too happy. You have a funny way of showing it. Now, dear, merrily we go to hell. Merrily you go to your girlfriend. I'm still going to her unless you stop me. I won't stop you. If you love me, you will. Sweetheart. Yes, dear. Don't you think I've done enough today? Don't let anything go wrong, Joan. Or if it does, 
take my advice and get out in time. All right, Andy. How do you how do you gonna how are you gonna handle Letterbox? What are you gonna do to really make this review and this star rating shine? I don't know. I I felt like this film worked really well for me. I I enjoyed these characters and the journey. I'm going to land on four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah. What? Yeah. This is a really good film. I really That's an it. extraordinary rating. Well, from you. <laughs> it's extraordinary. If people look at my ratings, they'll realize it's really not that extraordinary. Kind <laughs> of run in the I... middle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another four and a half for Mandy. I would go as high, I think, as um, three and a half. And that'll take us to a four. With a heart. Three and a half with a heart. Okay, so that's exactly the same you gave A Simple Life. So, yeah. so you did kind of land in the same... I think I did kind of land in the same place. And the same that I gave to The Simple Life. So there you go. Okay. So this was clearly your favorite of the whole set. Uh, Well, this and uh, A Simple Life, I both really enjoyed. Like the the different stories, but I really connected with both of them a lot. I think if I were to pick, it would be both people over A Simple Life, even though they're at the same rating. But uh, just I I found it to be a real powerful story that I I connected with, with quite a bit. I think I think this is one of those cases where it just depends on what you're in the mood for. Like if I'm if I feel like that was such a a wonderful sort of dramatic experience between those two people uh, in The Simple Life. And it told such an interesting story of family. And this is a very different movie um, than than that. So I I think uh, I don't know that I I could pick one over the other, but it, it would depend very much on on mood. Uh, so, but certainly, I, I had a better time with these than the uh, our our middle fair um, song of the exile in our time would come. So okay. that was fine. We want to know what you think about. We want to know. So head over to the show talk channel in Discord where we'll be talking about this movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth Andrew. As letterboxed always doeth. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And here we have our list of reviews. And I sorted mine by review activity. Uh, and this one is Philippe Fortado's four star review that comes in with 66 other likes on the review. And it doesn't include any profanity. So that's good for you. Okay. Why don't you read it? And who he's horror. (laughs) I'm reading it. I'm reading it. Dancing around the bush here. And who he's horror movie look into post war. It has 73 words. What are you doing? Now you are interrupting me. So now this is on you. This whole delay is on you, is your fault. Anne Hui's horror movie look into post-war Vietnam. It has Hui's usual empathy, but is far moodier than its realist reputation might suggest. One of the film's key concepts is turning Lamb's Japanese photographer into a blank a vessel for images, but someone whose journey is completely secondary in relation to what he sees. Mm. I think that's a good way to put it, to put our, to to reframe naivete uh, in terms of uh, filmmaking tool. I like it. That's, uh, that's actually great. Yeah. 
Well, I've got a four and a half uh, by Rohan, which uh, I think it's it speaks to a scene that we didn't talk about, but was the one moment in the movie where Hui suddenly uh, was also doing some intercutting between different scenes, which uh, we certainly is worth bringing up here. One of my favorite parts in this movie was the parallel scene of how he closed off his briefcase after placing the camera parts while simultaneously the little kid's mom was being placed and sealed in the coffin. Devastating. Uh. And that's, that is that moment where we have mom... Uh, embarrassed and ashamed by admitting that she's a prostitute and then killing herself by grabbing a hook and driving it into her neck, intercut with her funeral as the daughter is standing over her. And then, as this review says, we also get that moment where he's putting his camera away. Powerfully done scene. The way that all of that was constructed was was exceptional. Yeah, that was really special. Ugh. Rough. Uh, there was a, a later review I just want to throw out, which was which was really talking about, and I'm not going to read it, but it, it's worth noting that there are some strong opinions about how high this movie rates as a uh, a perspective that is non Western on yes. Vietnam movies, and I think that's important, and I probably in that scope, right? It, it, this movie merits a higher rating. Um, that again really showcases for me speaking personally my ignorance about those other perspectives and so if anything out of this movie and out of uh, our time will come last week i i am really interested in learning more about you know from filmmakers uh in this area because i i, I am a blank canvas on uh you know really needing to to fill some of those conceptual and historical holes powerful stuff absolutely absolutely Thanks, Letterboxd. You're the best. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.